When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. We got a little something different going on today. We actually have an entire episode dedicated to juvenile books, um, specifically middle grade. My coworker Beth came on um, and, you know, we we got some books for an audience that we don't usually talk about um, and, and offer book recommendations for. So I was... I was really excited um, that Beth was was willing to come on, especially, you know, the holidays are happening. Um, and if, you know, you need, if you have a, if you have a middle grade book reader in your life and you're not sure what to get them for birthdays or any other kind of holiday, we, we have a whole selection for you super excited. Um, and also, you know, juvenile titles aren't just for kids. Adults can read them too. And let's be honest, if you're like me, reading has been tough this year. And so juvenile titles are just, you know, they're nice and easy and not easy. I don't mean easy, like easy, but they're, they're a faster read. Um, you know, some of them do deal with tough topics, but they're, they're a faster read than a, a big, big old adult novel. So they don't just have to be read by kids. So if you want to get a hold of the podcast, our website is professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. You can email us at professionalbooknerds.overdrive.com. That's all I got for you, kids. That's it. That's it. So, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, Beth. Hi, Jill. I'm so excited to have you on today. Um, We are here to, we're talking some juvenile books, which is not a topic we cover very often on the podcast. So it should be a fun one. And we are specifically talking more about that kind of middle grade level. So this is a genre, an age, not really genre, but an age that you are more familiar with. So can you kind of give our listeners a bit of a uh, intro into what age range we're talking about here with these books? So with middle grade, what we're really looking at is those tweens, those kind of pre-YA. And so that can mean 8 to 12 or 10 to 14. As YA has kind of aged up, middle grade has also kind of creeped up to that 13 and 14-year-old category who aren't really old enough for the YA that's coming out. So um, as I talk about titles, I'll try to give a little indication of whether we're really talking about you know, 11-year-olds or 13-year-olds or what age group will be the best for the books, but it kind of covers all that area once they're kind of independently reading novels. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah, as you're 
you know, YA is definitely aging itself up. So finding that audience for those who aren't quite there yet is really important. Um, so I know you have a couple more books than I do, um, because this is more of a genre. Or, oh my God. I keep saying genre and I don't mean that <laughs> this is more of a, uh, age group that you are familiar with than I do, but I do have a couple. Um, so I'm actually going to start with one. I've not read these just as full disclosure for our listeners, but these are ones that sounded fun that I would be interested in reading as an adult. And the first is mystery on Magnolia circle by Kate Kleiss, I think. And, um, it sounds like a middle grade rear window, which just sounds like so much fun because I love that movie. Uh, so it's about, um, two friends, Teddy and Ivy. And on the first day of vacation, 10 year old Ivy falls down the stairs and breaks her leg. She's stuck in a plaster cast and she's certain her summer is doomed. I, I would probably feel that way too. And not even her neighbor, Teddy, uh, can cheer her up because he's dealing with his own pain, which is the loss of a beloved dog. But when Ivy witnesses a possible burglary, burglary from her living room window, her summer takes a sudden turn from meh to mysterious. I just, oh, I love mysteries. This was like, I loved reading mysteries when I was this age and I still do. And so any kind of mystery um, for, you know, that like 11, 12 year old just sounds like so much fun. And Again, I love this idea of it being sort of a, a rear window for kids. So that sounds like a really fun one. That does sound really good. I haven't read that either. So my first title is One Kid's Trash by Jamie Sumner. And so it's bad enough when you're the new kid in school. It's even worse when you're small for your age and your mom won't let you do anything. The only thing worse than being invisible for a sixth grade boy is getting patted on the head by girls. Lucky for him, Hugo has a talent. He can tell you about the person just by looking at their garbage. So, of course, you know, he's got this great power to make him popular in middle school, but with great power comes great responsibility, and middle schools don't exactly have the best track record with responsibility. Yeah. So, especially when it comes to getting revenge on his bully, he kind of takes it too far. So, this is kind of imagine like a tween age Shane Spencer from Psych trying to use his skills to be like popular and distract himself from the parental drama of his dad's midlife crisis. So there's a lot of very serious middle grade right now. And this is a nice change for kids who want something a little lighter. It's very funny. There's, you know, a group of middle school boys kind of doing what middle school boys do with video games and that kind of thing. So that's one kid's trash. That sounds like a lot of fun. I also have um, The Mysterious Disappearance of Aiden S. As Told to His Brother by David Levithan. Is it Levithan or Leviathan? Levithan. Levithan. Okay. I did pronounce it correctly. So um, Aiden um, has disappeared. He disappeared for six days, six agonizing days of searches and police and questions and constant vigils. Then just as suddenly as he vanished, Aiden reappears. Where has he been? The story he tells is simply impossible, but it's the story Aiden is sticking to. His brother Lucas wants to believe him, but Lucas is aware of what other people, including their parents, are saying. That Aiden is making it all up to disguise the fact that he ran away. When the kids in school hear Aiden's story, they taunt him, but still Aiden clings to his story. And as he becomes more of an outcast, Lucas becomes more and more concerned. 
Being on Aiden's side would mean believing in the impossible, but how can you believe in the impossible when everything and everybody is telling you not to? So this book sounded so interesting to me. I started looking into it more and reading some Goodreads reviews. And I don't think this is a spoiler to say that um, Aiden claims to have visited like a magical land and then comes back from it. And as someone who loves, you know, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz, I'm intrigued by you know, like those books always end with the person coming back and you, they never really talk about what happens after, like what happens to Dorothy. Right. <laughs> and she starts telling people all of this or what happens, you know, to Alice or the kids in Narnia, like when they come back and are like, yeah, no, I just traveled to this mysterious land. And <laughs> of course, do you believe them? Are they telling the truth? Um, so again, this is one that sounds really good and is sort of kind of a twist on that idea of you know portal fantasies and going to that magical world um if that's actually what happened to Aiden and then whether that's true and sort of the reactions that come after so I I like that kind of twist on that story yeah I did read this earlier this year and it is great like you say it's a really kind of fresh take on the kind of magical portal of because it's what happens after yeah um, David Levithan, there's a couple very well-established Y authors this year that have their middle grade de- debut. Another one is Gail Foreman's Frankie and Bug, which I'm going to talk about. So in 1987 in Venice, California, an all 10-year-old Bug wants to do is spend another summer on the beach with her brother. But Daniel is 14 and he wants his space. Enter Frankie, their neighbor Philip's nephew, who Bug decides has been brought to save her summer. Except Frankie doesn't like the beach. She's much more interested in solving the case of the serial killer the press calls the Midnight Marauder. So the two do bond over their investigation of the Midnight Marauder and her summer starts to look up and she starts to kind of understand more about like how people are different and how they're the same and how that kind of works in the bigger community. Um, Things take a turn though when Philip is gay-bashed and then that also kind of coincides with some racist and other homophobic attacks in her community from skinheads and Bug starts deep, digging deeper into her family history. She's half Salvadoran, half white. So this is a book about kind of growing up and realizing you personally are not the universe's main character, mm. which is a really great thing at 10 and also about what really makes a family. So as someone a few years younger than Frankie, I really appreciate that Foreman went light on the time period references because I would think they're cool but you know the target audience here which is you know 10 11 12 year olds it wouldn't mean anything to them so I think it's always nice when they don't go overboard with stuff kind of written in their own youth for sure that's always important yeah uh we might find some particular callbacks interesting but the younger kids might not for something kind of completely different, I've got Willow Dean by Catherine Applegate, who is, you know, the award-winning author of The One and Only Ivan. And this is kind of another animal-related story, although in this case, the main character is a young girl. So the other villagers, in perchance, call Willow Dean the Screecher Girl, because she's interested in these smelly, boar-like animals. And these animals stink so bad, they're bad for tourism, so they've been bounty hunted into extinction. 
she doesn't mind that they call her that because since the rest of her family died in a fire, she's happier observing nature than being around everyone else anyway. And Pa always told her that nature knows more than we do. So the village of Perchance is sustained through the winter by a fall festival built around the migration of these humming bears, which are kind of little tiny squirrel sized bears with hummingbird wings who migrate through the town and build their nests in the trees and the nests grow and it's a big tourism draw. So every year, the last couple of years, there've been fewer and fewer humming bears and the town is starting to get very concerned that they're not going to have the tourism they need. So a little magic happens and I won't give too much away there, but it makes Willow Dean curious about the connection between the screechers and the humming bears. And so she starts to investigate. This is actually a great STEM tie-in and kind of do some research in nature. And she might find both the answers to the problem and it might help her kind of find her place in the village. So this is great. This is a little younger. This would work for third graders and up. And if you look up the cover, um, you might see that Willow Dean has a pet humming bear. And of course, he steals every scene he's in because he's adorable. Another book um, that's come out recently, uh, Playing the Cards You're Dealt by Varian Johnson. And this is brand new this month, the author of the Twins graphic novel and the Parker Inheritance. So Anthony Joplin has finally hit double digits, but his life is getting complicated. Sure, he's got another chance to continue the Joplin legacy and win the spades tournament that he bombed last year, but all his friend, but his best friend is acting out and can't be his partner. So he finds a replacement and surely the new girl at school. But he kind of has to keep it a secret because his dad has some pretty strong opinions, both about playing cards and about what it means to be a man and how that fits in with having a girl on his side. So he keeps it a secret. But unfortunately, his dad also has some secrets going on and it kind of might end up being a disaster for the whole family. Um, if you like this one, you also like Nick Stone's new middle grade fast pitch, which I'm not going to talk about in detail, but is kind of similar in like the family legacy and competition categories. I, uh, I almost put fast pitch because I have read uh, one other Nick Stone's book and, and really enjoyed it. Um, so I will definitely have to pick up uh, the new one then. Um, I'm going to talk about Take Back the Block by Crystal D. Giles. Uh, so Wes, and, uh, Wes Henderson has the best style in sixth grade. That and hanging out with his crew, his best friends since little kid days, and playing video games is what he wants to be thinking about at the start of the school year, not the protests his parents are always dragging him to. But when a real estate developer makes an offer to buy Kensington Oaks, the neighborhood Wes has lived his whole life, everything changes. The grownups are supposed to have all the answers, but all they're doing is arguing. Even Wes's best friends are fighting and some of them may be moving. Wes isn't about to give up the only home he's ever known. Wes has always been good at puzzles and he knows there has to be a missing piece that will solve this puzzle and save the Oaks, but can he find it before it's too late? There were a couple of things that drew me to this book. Um, first, I sort of think when you're at that age of, you know, this is sixth grade, you know, this idea that like the grownups are supposed to have all the answers, but you're at that age where you sort of want to start figuring things out for yourself. 
And this idea of, you know, real estate developers coming in and gentrification and the neighborhood changing. I mean, that's a reality for a lot of kids. And, um, you know, the book explores like community and social justice and friendship. And there's a lot going on here that I think would appeal to a lot of different readers, uh, really of any age, I think. All right. So outdoor survival stories are kind of having a moment right now, which is not that surprising because there's a very successful um, series called I Survived, which are like fictional accounts of historical national disasters. And so we're kind of seeing more of those in the middle grade category. So I've got two. The first is Across the Desert by Dusty Bowling. So 12-year-old Jolene spends every chance she can at the library watching her favorite live streamer, the Desert Aviator, who's a girl her name her age named Addie. And she, the girl flies an ultralight over the desert. It's a nice break for Jolene for worrying about her mom, who's struggling with opioid addiction after a car accident. Then one day, something goes very wrong with the flight, and Jolene realizes she's the only one who knows Addie has crashed. She tries to do the right thing and tell a grown-up, but they don't believe her. As you can imagine, you know, telling her, don't believe everything you've seen on the internet. It's probably fake. You don't even know this girl's real name. What do you want us to do about it? So she can't push the adults harder because she's worried that they might dig into her own living situation, which is not so great right now. So Joe decides that it's up to her to save her friend. So she packs up the little she can find in the house and she swipes her mom's ancient cell phone and she sets off over a hundred miles to rescue Addie by herself. So along the way, she does meet, you know, a couple people, a teenage girl that's traveling to visit her grandpa who, you know, kind of immediately calls out like, hey, aren't you a little young to be traveling by yourself? And they kind of team up and it goes from there. So I really like the kind of modern update on the survival story where she's the only one watching this live stream. The girl has told her before through chat that she sneaks out when her mom's not paying attention to fly the ultralight. So there's nobody else that's looking for this girl. And Bowling does a really great job of keeping everything from the description of Addie's injuries to the details of Joe's mom's addiction at an age appropriate level for like fourth and fifth graders, Mm -hmm. which is really hard to do without taking it too far down. And she does a really great job. So the other survival story I have is for the older end of the age group and that's Paradise on Fire. So Jill Parker Rhodes is kind of well known for Ghost Boys and Black Brother, Black Brother, and this is her newest book. So Addie lost her parents in a fire when she was four and still suffers from the trauma at 15. She's constantly drawing maps and mazes and planning her escape routes. So when her grandma signs her up for a wilderness adventure, she doesn't really expect to like it. But it's another opportunity to use her mapping skills, and she grows to love the woods. Then a wildfire threatens her and her new friends, and it's Addie's maps and perseverance that can save the day. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. So this is in that sweet spot for being appropriate for those 11 to 14 year olds, but still having high enough stakes to kind of keep them invested. Mm-hmm. Um, so my last one is Starfish by Lisa Phipps. This is when I read this description, I was like, oh, this is a book I would have needed at that age. Um, so ever since Ellie wore a whale swimsuit and made a big splash at her fifth fifth birthday party, she's been bullied about her weight to cope. She tries to live by the fat girl rules. 
like no making waves, avoid eating in public, and don't move so fast that your body jiggles. And she's found her safe space, her swimming pool, where she feels weightless in a fat obsessed world. In the water, she can stretch herself out like a starfish and take up all the room she wants. It's also where she can get away from her pushy mom who thinks criticizing Ellie's weight will motivate her to diet. Fortunately, Ellie has allies in her dad, her therapist, and her new neighbor, Catalina, who loves Ellie for who she is. With this support buoying her, Ellie might finally be able to cast aside the fat girl rules and starfish in real life by unapologetically being her own fabulous self. I love the cover is delightful. And again, like I would have loved having this book when I was that age, because I definitely, when I was, you know, 10 about then is when I, I think sort of like became very conscious of the fact that I weighed more than all of the other girls in my class. And there weren't books about that. (laughs) And at least not in a way that was, you know, like positive and even now as an adult, there aren't a lot of books like that. And I just, I, I have seen, um, a trend in like books like starfish. And also there's different picture books that are aimed towards young readers and showing them that bodies of all sizes can be, you know, beautiful and are okay. And, and I, and I love seeing it. And this is definitely on my, my TBR and the, I just love the cover. She just looks so cute. And she's in her little bathing suit and she's like star fishing in the pool. Oh, so she cute. Is. And this is actually one of my favorite books this okay. year, <laughs> came out earlier this year. And it's a big favorite on our, on the co my coworkers as well. Um, I really loved it for all the reasons that you mentioned. And also there are scenes with her going to therapy and getting like actual help and not just being told, you know, suck it up and get over it kind of thing, which I thought was really great. And she actually kind of learns some techniques in therapy that I think kids reading the book can kind of pick up on and think, oh, I could do that. That would be all right. So it's just great on a whole bunch of different levels. Yeah, that's a fun one. That's good to know. Uh, my next one is a graphic novel, and it's not one that is getting a lot of press, and I feel like it kind of could blow up if more people knew about it. And so it's called The Awakening Storm, and it's City of Dragons book one. And so it's about a girl who moves to Hong Kong with her mother and her new stepfather. Um, her father passed away. Um, he was Chinese. Her mom is white but her stepfather is got a job in Hong Kong. So they move and she's busy trying to make friends at her new fancy boarding school. And they're on a field trip when she and her friends sneak away. And this mysterious woman sees her and starts talking to her. She doesn't really speak Chinese. She's not sure what she's saying, but she gives her this egg as a gift. And so she takes the egg home and the next morning it hatches into this adorable baby water dragon. Like she gets up and finds the egg gone and the thing is cracked in the bathtub and it's hiding in the toilet so it can be next to water. Uh-huh. So so she kind of gets her friends to help her take care of it because first they have to figure out how to keep this thing alive. And then of course they find out that, well, obviously people are looking for this. It's a powerful water dragon. It's a magical creature. So I think this has appeal both to the people who like the Raina Telgemeier type books and also it has some of that Rick Riordan mythology and the real world magic to it. 
so with all that tie-in and the riot and the last dragon tie-ins i think it would be a really solid choice for you know those the fourth and fifth grade and up kind of readers who like graphic novels yeah i'm looking up the illustrations right now they're really cute this yeah this looks like a fun book yeah and so i have two more titles um and they're both kind of spooky season picks so the first one is Beasts and Beauty by Soman Chanani. And I almost didn't include this one because it's definitely on the upper end of this age range. It's pretty dark. I would probably give it to those sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. It's retellings of popular fairy tales, but these are much more in line with kind of the grisly original stories than their Disney versions. For example, when the prince shows up, Rapunzel is basically like, why would I run off with you? You're the first guy I've ever talked to. And, you know, being a princess kind of sounds like a lot of work when I can just hang out in my tower all day. So there's lots of twists on that. But there's also, um, you know, Red Riding Hood confronting the wolves. And there's some kind of violence and fairy tale level gore in some of the stories. So it might not be for every kid, but I know out there somewhere there's like 13 and 14 year olds that want a little different story and they're not too crazy about regular princesses who need to be rescued. So this is the book for them. And I would say if you've got a like a reluctant sixth grade reader, just tell them it's too old for them and they'll be all set because they'll <laughs> think about nothing else. That's probably true. It also has a really good cover. Yeah, it has a great cover. That's good. And so I also have The Hidden Seek by Nate Cernasek. And this has a good cover as well. It's a little younger. So this is more for your fans of Goosebumps or Catherine Arden's Small Spaces books. So they're just kids, there's Holly and Hector are playing hide and go seek and they kind of get left behind by the other children and find themselves transported to a magic world called The Hidden Seek. So in The Hidden Seek, a shape-shifting witch is it. And if she finds you, she'll turn you into a statue. So you're like forever a statue just in this last horrified moment. So together with the other children that are trapped there, Holly and Hector have to figure out the truth of the hidden seek and how to get out before it's too late. So I have not read this one yet, but it just sounded really good. And you know, horror is always a really popular genre for young readers. Sure is. Yeah, that also sounds good. See, I said at the beginning, I'm like, I don't really read this particular age group, but I have a whole bunch of books to add to my TBR. And the good thing is they're short. And so when other like adult books, I'm just like, I don't have the mental capacity to read adult books right now. I can just pick up one of these really good ones. Um, so yeah, for all the our listeners, um, all of the titles are in our show notes. So you can, if there's any that sounded really good. And of course, um, you and I had discussed this before we started recording, but these would be good if there are kids in their life, whether it's their own children or nieces or nephews or, you know, nibblings that they want to buy holiday gifts for. Hopefully there are books in this list that will appeal to some of those kids. Yeah, Willow Dean is definitely on my list for my niece, so. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much, Beth, for coming on and talking all these fun middle grade books with me. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an evergreen podcast signature program. 
to learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Jill Grunenwald and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.